Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. There's no crying on the yacht. Like we're on a yacht. Like we could be a lot worse. There's, There's no, a lot, crying no crying on, on a yacht. yacht. We practice every single day right there, and that is the Mattel Children's Hospital. Yep. And whenever we have a player talk about things aren't going good or just take a peek across. You want to talk about realistic? This sport's never been in a better place. Most influential people in the sport talking about the sport globally. This time on the Joel Class Show's Big Noon Conversation, coach of the UCLA Bruins, Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly, head coach of the UCLA Bruins. Thanks for sitting down, man. I really appreciate it. I've been excited to talk with you about this for a long time. Well, we get to talk about football, so I'm excited too. So. That's right. Uh, the, the series has been going great. We've just been talking about the sport, and it's a sport that I love dearly. Mm -hmm. I have for my entire life. It's, it's one of the things um, I'm so fortunate to be able to work in it. I know you feel the same way. I, I'll just open it up with this first. What's going right with college football right now? I think there's a lot of things going right with college football nowadays. It's, it's, I think the story is always the players. And if you get an opportunity to meet the players, so if you get an opportunity to meet Zach Charbonnet, that's what's right about yeah, college football. I can attest to that. Yeah. Great if kid. you get a chance to meet Bryce Young mm -hmm. or Will Anderson or whoever those guys are, when you hear their stories and listen to what they've overcome and what they've done to get to where they are, that's what it's all about. And in, in, I've always believed the main thing is the main thing, and that is the student athlete. And if we keep the main thing the main thing, then we're going to be okay. But we think the world is kind of falling down around us. But if you look at every part of history of college football, the other things have always gone on. Sure. There was the SMU scandal in the 70s, and the transfer portal started a long, long time ago. <laughs> they, they, it seems like it's at the forefront now. But And I told the story when we were at Fox is that yeah. – uh, fielding hurry up Yost in 1896 played a game at West Virginia against Lafayette he stayed and then played for Lafayette and beat Penn and then transferred back to West Virginia he went on to be one of the all-time greatest college football coaches and one of the all-time greatest ADs that actually started the NCAA but they had transfer portal issues in 1896 so <laughs> what's going on now is it something that has to be cleaned up yeah we understand but it's if we keep talk, talking and focusing on the student athletes, then that's the thing that always impresses me because there's some impressive young men in this game. You, you and I have talked before, and you brought this term up, and I've I've stolen it uh, in many conversations with people around the sport since. Uh, as you said, listen, two things: one, our sport's never been better, and two, these are champagne problems. Oh yeah. When you're dealing with excess, when you're dealing with 
The players are too popular. How do they not monetize their name, image, and like? Those are good problems rather than your sport is dying. Yeah. And, and our sport certainly right now it is as good as it has ever been, period. Coaching-wise, I think it's – I mean, every week everybody can coach. You know, and I, and I don't know if it's the advent of the Internet and people's more access to film, um, but – there are great coaches at the high school level. There are great coaches at the junior college level. There are great coaches at Division Three, Division Two, II, Division One, the NFL. It, it is amazing to watch how many good coaches there are out there and how many people are learning from other people. So mm-hmm. I think schematically everybody has gotten better as a football team. Mm. And I think now you add to it is that how well these kids are getting coached at the high school level. So their transition to college is, wow, these guys can, they can make that jump. You know, because they're doing some things at the high school level now. You're just like, wow, I didn't know you could do that. And, hey, let me study their film. Like, that's a, that, that's a pretty good scheme. And, and what are those guys doing? So I think because of the coaching has gotten so much better, mm-hmm. I think the players have gotten that much better. And that's what, when we talk about, there are issues. You know, I'll give you a new one. Is there, we talk about here all the time. There's no crying on the yacht. Like, we're on a yacht. Like, we, we could be a lot worse. There's, There's no, a lot, crying no crying on, on a yacht. yacht. We practice every single day right there, and that is the Mattel Children's Hospital. Yeah. And whenever we have a player talk about, you know, things aren't going good or, you know, I, 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 you know, just take a peek across. You want to talk about realistic and what we're talking about and what we get to experience on a daily basis and what some families are going through right now in terms of what's going on from a life experience, mm. that's where you can figure out. That's why I say this sport's never been in a better place. There's, there's so much we can, we've already touched on now that you've touched on. So let me try to, try to break it up. Let me dive back into schematics and then yeah. we'll touch on the other things. I, I would argue, and, and you would probably uh, deflect and give credit elsewhere. I would argue that you were at the forefront of innovation in schematics and football, really at every level, but, but certainly at the college level. And what you guys were doing at New Hampshire and then what you brought to Oregon changed college football, the tempo, the ingenuity in terms of how you practiced, when you practiced, it was all new. And that's mm-hmm. all anybody could talk about was what you were doing at Oregon. My first question would be, where did it start? What was the genesis of your kind of schematic foundation to football? Yeah, I would argue, because I always argue. Um, if you weren't in the room with Amos Alonzo Stagg and Newt Rockney, then you stole your idea from somebody. Because <laughs> somebody has done what we're doing I now. I knew you would deflect. In the I past. It. So it's how do you put it together so it fits best for your team. So, so you, view, you view what you did mm-hmm. as more of taking puzzle pieces and fitting them together. Sure. Just taking different puzzle pieces. How do I make this puzzle picture work for us? Uh, you look at Tim Tebow and what Urban did with Tim. Unbelievable. Single wing football. They were doing that in the 30s. Notre Dame ran the box back then. You look at some of the stuff we did. It was Dutch Myers and TCU in the mm. 50s. So this has been the cyclical part of the game where we can go back into the history of the game and say, hey, how do we do it? Now, back then, I would say everybody was married to a system. Sure. And this is our system. This is what we do. Now I think people are more of, I'll do some of this and then some of this mm-hmm. and some of this because what all great coaches do is what can we add that's going to help this team this year in this game. Sure. Not we run a system, and if it's not part of the system, then we're not going to do it. I think everybody has a sprinkling of everything. Everybody runs some power. Everybody runs some RPOs. Everybody runs – but I think the coaches that are the best are the ones that can match it to the personnel that they have. Yeah. But 
you know, I, I grew up on the East Coast. I was in the, the old Yankee Conference, and we got to play Delaware every year, and it was a thing of beauty to watch a Tubby Raymond Delaware football team with unbelievable players like Rich Gannon mm-hmm. moving up and down the football field, and, and it was it was pretty. It was buck sweep to waggle to trap to option to empty. to It was a million different things, but it all fit into their system. And so you can kind of watch and observe how they did it, and then it was just adapt. And really for us, it all came from, we were an I-formation team. We were a young Penn State. Our head coach was a tight end at Penn State under Bill, under Bill Bowes is his name, yeah. under Joe Paterno. Joe yeah. Paterno was his position coach. Yeah. We dressed like Penn State. We were Penn State. We were in the eye. We were tough, hard-nosed, and we were physical. And then when we transitioned, as I transitioned to the offensive corner, we didn't have any fullbacks. We just so it didn't. was born out of necessity. It was born out of necessity. Is our third wideout better than a fullback? He is. Well, then how do you run the ball without – you're going to have the, the wideout play fullback. So – but if you move him out of the box, maybe a linebacker steps out with him. Sure. So by formation, you've moved him, but you're still running similar plays. So it really became from necessity, but it's still understanding the schematics of 11 on 11 and how can you affect people 11 on 11. Um, and then that became the fun part. Like, what can we do with our players to give them a chance to be successful this week? How about when you look around, I would argue a lot of coaches are unwilling to take those steps. There's a fear factor of like, mm-hmm. I, 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 there's an, an uncomfortable nature, and yet you were willing to do that. How do we run power with three wide receivers? A lot of coaches would say, you can't run power with three wide receivers because you mm-hmm. have to have X, Y, and Z, and you've got to have the kick out, and you've got to have the, and you've got to have a fullback or at least an H back in there, and you, your willingness to say, well, why not? Yeah. How did that evolve? Well, I've always said, why not? <laughs> I don't know if that had anything to do with football, but. I think your job as a coach is to create an environment where your players have an opportunity to be successful sure. and then get out of their way and then say, we're in the solution business. If you're a really good football coach, you're really good at solving problems. Mm. Here's our issue. How do we solve it? Let's move on. And I don't think we're married to what do other people think if we do this? You know, I've always said we're, I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. So you may like what we do. You may not like what we do. We really don't care. Our job is to try to put our players in the best position we can. And I think maybe that experience for me, because we weren't in the limelight, mm-hmm. we were at New Hampshire. Um, so we didn't have a rabid fan base and message boards and all those other things at that point in time. Maybe that would have been different. Maybe I would have been different. I don't know. But our job was to win each week. Mm-hmm. And it was, that's all we thought about. Like, what are we going to do to win? And that was our overarching goal every week. It's going to take this to win, then let's do it. Where do you think it's going, schematics? Like, do you, do you sense a trend right now? Because there was a big trend, like everyone had to go fast. Mm-hmm. And then everyone wanted to go tempo. And there was mm-hmm. a few outliers, right? For a while, it was like only Stanford would get in there and just like mm-hmm. <laughs> run it. But now, like, I, it's hard for me to predict like where it's going because everyone does, like you mentioned earlier, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I don't get caught up as much as what is the trend. Okay. It's just, is what they're doing can be implemented into what we do. And I'll give you an old Joe Paterno, Penn State, Franny Gantner, and all those guys. If you add, you have to subtract. Because you can't like everything. Well, and you can't execute everything. Because you can't execute right? like, everything. Like, there's not an unlimited amount of time So be like, hey, this is good, and then this is good, and then this is good. And I always have thought of, I remember Franny Gantner telling us that the old longtime Penn State offense coordinator to say, that's great. 
if we're going to add it, let's just look right now at our, what we have. What are we taking out? And then it makes you really think about what your scheme is. Well, let's take out that. Well, I really kind of like that. Okay, well, then let's take out, I really kind of like that. Well, maybe we're good. <laughs> maybe we don't have to add this, that this shiny new object that we saw yesterday that we kind of liked as we start to add it. And I think if you're conscious of knowing how many and what we're really conscious of, how many reps do we get during a week mm -hmm. where I feel comfortable enough or we feel comfortable enough that when we run it on Saturdays, we've given our players an opportunity to be successful running it mm -hmm. instead of, I can't believe they screwed it up because we ran it in a walkthrough on Tuesday. <laughs> You know, that's on us. Right. That's on us. That's that's bad coaching. You know, when we call something in a game, we feel like our players have executed it to a point where we're going to be successful when we do it and not because of lack of reps. You know, I think that's one of the advents of tempo is maybe you don't do it in games, but you got to do it in practice so that you get enough reps to be successful in whatever schemes you're running. Yep. So the student athlete, we go back to the student athlete. Um, I agree with you, by the way. I think that not only coaching, I think players, you talked about it in terms of high school players being more ready than ever, mm -hmm. and I think that that's the case as well. Like, these guys have also specialized a lot sooner, you know, mm -hmm. in some degree. Now, we can argue whether that's good or bad for them developmentally, you know, from an athletic standpoint. But truth be told, the quality of player right now is better than it's ever been. Like, we've got really good players, and it's increasing. I made the big argument about this. With NIL, we're having guys that would have been mid-round draft picks that say, you know what, I can probably make the same amount of money as I would in my first year as a fourth-round draft pick by staying in, in school. And so we're entering into a phase of college football where I call it the golden era of football. We're going to have more good veteran players than ever before because they're more willing to stay in the sport. Because of that, when you look at right now across the landscape, like players, players' rights, where are we? If you just took a, a snapshot of what the players have, what they get, how they can move around their freedom, where do you sit with that? Yeah, I'm all for it. I think we let 18-year-old kids make decisions in so many other aspects of their life, but for some reason in college football, we say they can't. Mm. I mean, you played baseball, yeah. so you made the decision that I'm gonna go play professional baseball. Like, you, you're a professional at 18 years old. And no one has an issue with that. But they have a huge issue with it in football, which I just don't understand that. We don't have an issue with it in the military. Right. You know, I've been fortunate in my career to take a couple trips overseas and visit our troops, and I'm watching 18-year-old kids on the deck of the USS Eisenhower in 137-degree weather landing planes, million-dollar equipment that we've entrusted to an 18-year-old. but. We don't think a kid should get NLI money because he has to pay taxes. Like, people argue that. Well, you can't give those kids a lot of money. You know they have to pay taxes on it. Like, do you know there are 18-year-old kids across this country that pay taxes all the time? Baseball players had to do it. No That's one right. ever said baseball. I can't believe they're drafting kids in baseball at 18. But in football, for some reason, we've kind of wrapped our arms around it. I think what we have to teach these kids, though, with, with freedom and freedom of choices, has to come discipline. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be a pretty disciplined individual when you get a lot of freedom on your side because you just can't run around and say, hey, I got a ton of money. I'm going to blow it on this. I'm going to blow it on this. Well, it's just not, not going to last very long. Yeah. And that's a very tough lesson for some kids to learn. But I think they should have rights. Um, and then our job is to educate them with those rights what to do. You know, that's we're in the education business. So how do we educate our kids? How do you handle 
if you have an NIL deal? How do you handle uh, time commitments? You know, how do you understand you're here on a scholarship? You can't be out on a photo shoot mm-hmm. when we're practicing. Things mm-hmm. that you kind of think are commonplace, but that's our job is to educate them. But I, I'm I'm all for the freedom that the, the student athletes have now, and um, they should, because the other students do. If you're in, you sing or you're in, a, a talented musician like no one ever worries about how come this person's doing this it's just some reason for some reason in our sport and more in football than the other sports yeah um we kind of wrap our arms around it like they can't handle it I, I i think the kids can handle it but it's on us as coaches and in, and institutions to educate them on how to handle it so i've i've talked about uh, prior and and i even had a conversation with coach saban about this um during the series about the nature of agreements, right, and, and contracts. You have one with UCLA, I have one with Fox. You know, like everybody, like you said, in the adult world, the kid joins the military, I, I decided to go sign and play pro baseball. It was, there was a two-way contract, right? Mm-hmm. So there was freedom to a point because there was responsibility as, as well as recourse. Yeah. And there are some, and I, I'm starting to find myself in this camp that that sees the 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 lack of recourse when a kid can get invested in by NIL dollars, maybe even through collectives, and that can be a different conversation. Um, you're going to pour into his development as a as a student, as a person, his health, all of that. You know, pour in, pour in, and then he can just pull the ripcord at any moment mm-hmm. and just be out, and like. Does there need to be some framework where there's more recourse or more responsibility for that player once he's been invested in like that? Yes, I think so. But if there's not, then don't complain about it. Like these are the rules these that we have rules. at this point in time. And then if they do it, our job, whether a kid's here for one day or a kid's here for four years, is to make it a great experience for him. Sure. And if a kid says, I think I want to go to transfer, well, where do you want to go? How can I help you and assist you in that? Because when it's all said and done, are we helping young people achieve their goals? Mm-hmm. And if they believe it's somewhere else, then it's somewhere else. That, that's okay. You know, I think people get hurt by that, that we've invested so much in them and then they're leaving. Well, okay. Coaches leave too. You know, is Fox the only people you work for? Well, no, but I, I have an exclusivity, yeah, right? right? So it's like I can't. But you I didn't in the beginning. You may not have had. Like you would have to pay UCLA a lot of money if you just left on yeah. a whim, right? So that yeah, would be the buyouts. recourse, you know? Like where are where where's that recourse for a player? I don't know. I, I think what has to happen is that the NCAA has to figure out what we are. So are we going to pay them? Can I interject? Yeah. Or some entity. Yeah. Whether it's the NCAA or not, some governing body, whether it's yeah. an overarching football body, someone has to decide and what say, we are. like, here's some framework. Yeah. This is what we and are. And if there is framework, as long as the framework is applicable to all schools and all student-athletes, it has to be uniform that way. But the one thing I would caution the student-athletes about is that if you do get involved in some type of collectively bargained agreement mm-hmm. about monetary figures, I'm all for it. But there hasn't been a collectively bargained league in any sport that doesn't have a draft. Right. So you no longer get to choose where you go to college. You didn't choose who drafted you in baseball? San Diego Padres. Well, I'm excited. 
if I'm right, I get to go to say, yeah, with the partner, it's great. There are other kids that's like, I get drafted where? <laughs> right. You're a Southern California kid, you're a Colorado kid, you're like, I'm going where? Right. But that's the deal, you know, do we want to go down that path? And that's the question, that's the really the biggest, to me, the biggest hurdle. Are we going to, I think the student athlete should be paid. How do you do that? And then how do you disperse that? Is it all freshmen make a certain amount, sophomores, juniors, seniors, all those other things? Great, but are they now employees? And if they are employees, are they at will employees? If a kid misses a kick on a Saturday, can he be cut on a Sunday? You know, do we want to go on that path? I think that's the question where the amateurism part is slowly, the air is leaving the balloon. Yeah. And I think everybody understands that. What's the best course forward? I don't have that answer. I think the student athletes should be compensated. How that works out, I'm worried about getting first downs. Right. And I think that's above us. Not that I'm, I don't care. I care immensely that they should be taken care of. But it's, it's I also know my, my say as a, as a coach. And it's, I don't think people understand. Head coaches don't have, when it comes to NCA issues, it goes to the athletic directors and really to the presidents before. They'll take our input, but very rarely is, yeah. hey, Isn't Coach this- Saban said this, so we're going to do this. It's, they're going to take Nick's, Nick's opinion. Some people, and I would take Nick's opinion too. But there are some of us that they're not going to even ask us questions. They're just going to tell us what we're doing. Isn't it fascinating, too? Like, there's no other sport where the head coaches have have this amount of – and it's not even that they're say. It's just that whatever they say has so much weight behind it because of the lack of structure. Right? Mm-hmm. In the NFL, coach says, like, hey, I think this rule should be changed. Everyone's like, whatever. Yeah. And there's, a, there's owners. There's a and like that. Yeah. There's a committee. Competition committee. And it, it, college football is totally different. Yeah. You know, it's like every time anybody that's won a national championship or has had success or is a prominent coach in our sport, every time they say something, everyone's like, why don't we do that? You know, yeah. and that, it's, it's, it's certainly unique to this sport uh, because it, of the lack of governance. That's my argument, right? When no, you create I, a vacuum, this is what you get. The, 100%. You know, they have rules in place right now that is illegal to use NIL as an inducement. Pay for play is illegal in NIL. If you look, it's weird, but only the good players get paid. But pay for play is illegal. No one's doing anything about it. It's not, the rule as it was written is not being implemented that way. And I think that's what all the coaches have an issue with. Mm -hmm. But we'd still have an enforcement side of the NCA, but nothing's being done about it. Nothing's so everybody just kind of, we're just going to do what we do, you know. And if if you happen to be at a school that is very solid in terms of their collective and what they do, then that's a benefit to you. If not, then there's no crying on the yacht. Just move on and <laughs> we go move on. on and just and just and what what do we have? What is what do we have that's unique? And what are we presenting to kids? And then how do we develop them? Yeah. Because the sad part about the amateurism aspect that is leaving the game as the air is leaving the balloon is that the other thing that's happening is that a lot of us coaches had looked at what we do as transformational mm-hmm. and now it's going to turn into transactional. transactional. Yeah. And do we want, is that what we want? You know, I know Nick has said that a lot. Is that what we want football to be, college football to be? Do we want it to be a transformational experience or do we want it to be a transactional experience? Or is there someone smart enough to get in a room and whoever those people are, can we make it both? Can mm-hmm. we make it transformational and transactional? And that's what I think needs. And, and again, I'm with you. I think there needs to be, you know, a, a committee of just people that are pretty sharp and, and, yeah. and care about the game, not care about their team or their conference. 
but really, what is the future of college football going to look like? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I've argued time and time again that we, we need a, you can call it a governing body, you can, whatever it is. It can be yeah. a board. It can, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But we need a group that only cares about college football globally everybody in college football and in particular like the you know the, the major college football but that's all they do 365 mm -hmm. days a year because right now we have these really very powerful people these commissioners and i like a lot of them they sit down on this program with very well-intentioned and smart people that also are in charge of softball and also are in charge of basketball and are worried about their own conference so the incentive structure for them is totally skewed in terms of how to create a world like you're talking about, mm -hmm. where we're looking after the sport and we're continuing to make it transformational into the future sure. for all generations, rather than just transactional now for this generation to make what they deserve. Yeah, I'll defend them because they're not just involved in football. So if I'm the commissioner of the Pac-12 or the SEC or the Big Ten, they're the commissioner for all sports. Well, that's, that's, and that's what, what I was the saying. issue that's is. And I'm, I'm with you is that, but I don't know if in the rules of our United States government, you can separate one sport from another sport because now you bump into Title IX right. and opportunities for women, which we should be providing. Absolutely. And I understand that. And I think the whole model of that football and basketball are funding these other sports is what everybody is really the biggest hang up because if the revenues that are produced in our sport are given to the players, which a lot of us believe should happen than what happens to the other sports. Mm -hmm. Because the, the system has been, all the athletic department revenue funds all of the, you know, mm -hmm. and do you wanna be a school that has 20, 25, 28 sports? I believe you should. I think that's what the collegiate athlete experience is about. So even when you were on a campus like that, there's so many unbelievable student athletes on this campus that aren't football players that you know you you admire our women's soccer team won a national championship yeah. our men's volleyball team won a national championship and i was excited for for both of those programs um you know what does that model look like when the money's funneled back to the players where do the funds come from and that's what it's it's a big money chase sure um i i know one thing i know i don't have the answers <laughs> i think i think I we still have to what we're trying to protect, and I think you're in agreement with that, is that I'm so concerned about losing the transformational experience to just being a total transaction. Yeah. Is are we going to just be a minor league entity, and yeah. and do we lease our name, image, and likeness from this university, and we're an independent, and we're borrowing the name of the school, the colors of the school, the mascot of the school, and renting this facility to run a minor league football team? Yeah, that would, and I mean. that's. And are you making the educational aspect optional? If you want to go to class, you can. But if you don't want to go to class, you don't have to. I hope that's not where this game is headed. Because um, I don't think that's what college athletics is all about. But I don't know. I, I, that's, the, that's the really tough part to kind of wrap your head around. This is why I knew I would love talking to you about this. Because you're, you're, you're great on all these topics. Um, one of the last things I wanted to get into was coaches and I respect so many of you guys. There's a, like you said, I think that the, the sport right now, deeper in the coaching ranks than it's ever been. You mm -hmm. already said that. But I believe that there's a threat to that. And, and the threat is the calendar. The calendar makes your guys' life miserable. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no crying on the, on the yacht, so I'm mm -hmm. not gonna have you yeah. say that, right? But 
there's got to be some way that we can help fix the calendar to do a lot of different things. Yes, help the coaches in terms of their quality of life, their ability to construct a roster. But then this also goes into the transformational aspect of once you build a roster, we need to understand what spots are available on the yacht, which mm -hmm. right now it's pretty crazy because it all happens in one week yeah. right after in the first week of December. Doing transfers, you're doing NIL deals, you're doing early signing day. What do we need to do with the calendar? The calendar is actually better than it's ever been, which is crazy to say. Because it's because still kids broken. could visit all summer. Okay. So you never got any summertime off. That's right. Kids could visit in February after the signing date. So at least they've gotten to February um, is a dead period where mm -hmm. students can't visit, coaches can't go off campus. July is a dead period. So it's better than it's ever been. Um, I don't really have an answer because... Do we need to space it out? Let me, let me start with this. Let me give you some idea. Do we need to space it out more similar to the NFL where it's like transfer is open, then signing day happens, where it's, it's separated. Yeah. So you're not trying to fill all those seats all at once. Here's the issue that people don't think about. So you look at an overall calendar, you have to factor in, and this is a novel concept, I always chuckle on this, we always forget about school. So for a kid to transfer, when does school start in January? Well, we wanna go from January 1 to January 15. Well, if it's January 15, they're not getting admitted here because they need to be here on the first Monday in January. So some of the decisions, and we say, why is that the window? Well, because there are some schools, there are different schools, we're a quarter school. Mm -hmm. We're not a semester school, so we're not even on the same schedule as in Alabama or uh, other schools out there. You know, we're in a different schedule, so for a kid to be enrolled here it is different than if a kid to be enrolled there because it's the one thing is, is I don't know if there's a universal one for all of them because everybody has a different kind of schedule. Most of the decisions about when the portals are open and things like that contingent on school. Like yeah. for us, we were in the middle of spring ball because we're on the quarter system. So spring ball for us was the month of April. Mm -hmm. The transfer portal window started on April 15th with the understanding that most people are done spring practice. Well, we were six practices in. But because the semester schools needed to have a decision by May 1st so that kids could enroll somewhere for yeah. the summer program, yeah. when we're right in the middle of it, and I know there's not many of us that are on the quarter system, but there's not a, univer a, cal a universal calendar helps. Sure. But it's still going to affect some schools because of what their school calendar is about. Yeah. And I don't know if people ever have figured, because I've always... I was like, why was it April 15th? Well, the semester schools, and, and to me, I'm like, that makes sense, but quarter schools, that's that's a different deal. Yeah. And so there's a few of us in the quarters that we just have to, we gotta deal with it, you know? I, I would, uh, I'll end with this. And I've gotten the pleasure, like I've gotten to know you really well, I've gotten to know Ryan really well. You guys obviously are, are great friends, Coach Day. Mm -hmm. You guys had a conversation one time, and I, I just thought it was, so unique to, to, to witness and, and special to hear, but the joy that you guys talk about your time at New Hampshire, yeah. you know, and, and the love that you had of that time mm -hmm. was palpable during the conversation. And obviously, because you guys love each other and the people that you were with mm -hmm. back there. What do you love currently? Like, what, what's your favorite part about your job? I've gotten to think a lot about that recently because mm -hmm. had friends pass away and mm -hmm. as you start to get older and you're starting to think about it and and what i love the most is the day-to-day -day. like the camaraderie to be in 
a staff meeting when I used to think staff meetings were drudgery. Like, why do we have to meet again? Do we have to talk about what Tuesday practice is going to be like every single day? But I think when you're not in that, you kind of miss those days because mm -hmm. of the personalities and the people that you get to work with on a daily basis. Like, that's the fun part. I think when you look back on when it's over, you're going to reflect back on the locker room experience. Mm -hmm. For, for a coach, it's the staff room experience. Um, I don't know if the conversations go closer to the individual games. Hey, when we beat them or we beat them, it's, it's just a, a situation that happened in that game or a situation that happened that day at practice. Those are the things that I think you, you realize what you're doing this for. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all about, like, we got involved in this because this made us happy. And I don't know if I feel for people that ended up in a profession that they were doing it just because that's what's going to pay the bills. You know, my dad always taught me when I was a younger kid is John Lennon was a little kid and he had a homework assignment and it was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he wrote down happy and passed it in. And his teacher sent back a note to the parents that said, I don't think he understood the assignment. And they wrote back to the teacher, I don't think you understand life. And I've always remembered that. And it's always guided me is that if you can find joy and happiness in the day-to-day, -day, then that's what makes this special. So when you get to be around Ryan Day or coach of Ryan Day, like that was just, that was an amazing experience because he brought it every day. So you better bring it every day as a coach. Yeah. And you were on the same page. And it's the same thing with the staffs that you have an opportunity to coach with. Like you're around a bunch of great human beings that if they share the same values and visions that you share, then that's what makes the fun part of it. So it's the day-to-day -day that makes me happy it's you know for coaches speaking calendar wise like i hate may because all the assistants go on the road and the head coach has to stay home like we're not allowed to go out i understand the rules so you're just alone in this big so building. you're in this building and it's i our gas and analysts they i drive them crazy because i think of a million different things to do and and i'm trying to call our coaches while they're on the road and and it's just because you want to hear from them and you want to talk to them so it's it's uh it's that. It's the day-to-day -day that I don't think I've learned to grow to appreciate a lot more because mm -hmm. um, that's when, that's the fun part about it. Yeah. Hey, man, I appreciate your time. All right, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Yeah. This is cool.